You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. Hey, everybody, this is Chuck Marone. Welcome back to the Strong Towns Podcast. We're happy you're here. This is our Black Friday parking week, a week where we ask people to go out uh, the day after Thanksgiving and take some photos of your parking lots around town. If they're full, that's fine, but likely they're not going to be full. I remember years working as an engineer. We designed those parking lots to make sure that uh, they fit everybody on Black Friday, yet when we go out on Black Friday, they're still empty. Why are we doing this? I got on the line with me, one of our good friends, Monty Anderson. Monty, you've been on the podcast. I think this is like your third time. So you're one of our most uh, frequent guests. Welcome back, Monty. Well, thanks, Chuck. Always glad to talk to you, of course. It's wonderful to chat with you. You, of course, are one of the founders of the Incremental Development Alliance. You did incremental development down in the Dallas, Texas area before incremental development was cool. I want to get your thoughts on parking minimums, and I, I've got a specific project I want to ultimately ask you about, but can we just start by talking about maybe some of your challenges with parking over the years? I don't know if you've got any specific stories that come to mind, but I, I've got a couple I'd like to ask you about. I know you've dealt with this issue many, many, many times. You know, of course, we always like to do good urban development and re repurpose good urban buildings and stuff. But in our neighborhoods of Southern Dallas County, we're quite often dealing with, you know, these old strip shopping centers that we're trying to make better and make them more, you know, humane, more walkable. And when doing so, you know, they got big, gigantic parking lots that usually the anchor tenants have gone away. Uh, There's plenty of parking there. And every time we go to get a certificate of occupancy at one of these strip centers, the city's wanting a parking analysis. You know, every time it's like, are you serious? I mean, the building's been there for 40 or 50 years. The parking lot's never full anymore because obviously the big anchor tenants are gone and you still want us to look at the parking, you know, over and over. What does that involve? I mean, you, you've got to hire some professionals to come in and, and is this like a thing that costs thousands of dollars? What, what actually does it take to meet that requirement that they're asking you to do? So usually what I do is I'll use my local architect and what we'll do is we'll go through every space that's leased in the shopping center. And if it's a restaurant, the requirements are different than they are. If it's an office, like an all state insurance office, or if it's a cleaners, you know, or whatever it is, it's, it's, it'll have its parking requirements. You take all the tenants that you've got in the, in the property and you add up their specific needs for parking or their specific current zoning requirements. You take the site plan with with all the parking spaces and you count them up and you see if there's enough to meet all the tenants that are in the in the shopping center. And let's say that you put a church in a shopping center, an old shopping center, or you put in a an event center. Well that's assembly's use. So some of these, even though they're not there at the same time, they count all the spaces as if everybody was there at their top peak all the time. It's a real pain each time. I mean, we got used to doing it, but each time you got to you got to go back to the drawing board, lay out what you've got, prove up what you've got in the shopping center, prove that there's enough parking spaces. Okay. 
keep going. Sorry I interrupted you. I just wanted to make sure people understood that part of it. What we've done in uh, some of the cities these days is they're asking me to do things besides just put in another dollar store or, you know, they're wanting to make these old shopping centers more cool by putting in small local creative entrepreneurs. And so my first question to them is, are you willing to do away with the parking requirements completely on the shopping center and never ask me again about parking? Some of them are. Yeah. I've got like the city of DeSoto, Texas, which is a Southern suburb of Dallas. In fact, just recently on one of my projects decided, you know, yep, we'll do it. We, we understand what you're saying. We'll do it because they're desperate enough. Desperation, you know, is of course how I started in incremental development, but desperate enough cities are willing to do whatever it takes. And these cities in Southern Dallas are, are desperate. The city of Duncanville, another suburb completely did away with all their parking on main street uh, in the main street corridor and now every building is full on main street you're developing in a part of the world that is you know very autocentric much like most of america but dallas in particular you know people like their cars you're doing good urban form but yet i know you need to have parking how do you as a developer in a place that is changing how do you balance that what's the approach you take to making sure you have the right amount of parking even when the government's not requiring it? We'll take a, a situation or a, a development or a property, and then we'll actually look at, in our own ways, we'll actually calculate what we think is realistic. Like if we're building in a, in a neighborhood and uh, putting a, a retail business in a neighborhood, can we attract, first of all, can we put a business in this shopping center or this development that will attract the locals, the walkable locals? That's the first thing that we think about. If we're putting in a, for instance, a retail tenant in a, in a shopping center in a neighborhood, and there's not one local that can come to that shopping center for that goods or service that you're putting in there, then there you've got your first problem. And so that's where we start at that, at that level. And then we will calculate when are the peak times when people come. And this is back to doing the parking study. And we've got good enough where we can kind of do it not quite in-house, but, you know, we know an event center, people are going to come on Friday and Saturday night. We know a, a, a donut shop, people are going to come in the morning. We know the dance studio is going to be there from, you know, after school till eight o'clock, you know, so we calculate the parking up and then we put a time schedule on it. And then we look at what realistically is, is needed. Is it workable? And, and we want to push that a little bit. So if, if you do a calculation and it says you need 50 parking spaces, then we're going to push it to 40 if we can. So we're going to, we're going to always push ourselves a little bit, but it's not realistic to just go to 20, you know, from 50 to 20. So it's an evolution thing that we've got to be working on. And at the same time, you know, we're working with the local bike friendly group, you know, we're putting bike uh, racks in, you know, we're riding bikes ourselves we might even do rent abatement for somebody that doesn't use the parking that actually rides their bikes to work every day. You said you start with businesses that serve the neighborhood. How important is it to your overall development strategy that you replace auto trips with walking and biking trips? Is that an essential or is that just something that you 
would like to accomplish? It's hugely important. And here's what it's important for two reasons, not just the parking and the car. It's most important because if you have a little business in a neighborhood and it cannot serve the locals, it will probably not make it. If you can't figure out how you can serve the locals around you, think about that for a minute. That's like free money. If you can, if you can figure out how to get the people around you to walk to you to buy your goods or service, that's not so easy in a changing world we live in. Like the places I work are very mixed in black, white, and brown people, you know, and, and so which thing is it that attracts the locals? And you've got to dig deep. You've got to know your neighborhood. I mean, you've got to know what's going on in your neighborhood. And you may have to test some things, which is reason tactical urbanism is a big part of our our work is uh, testing with street markets and different things to see who will who can actually make it. If you can sell to the local neighborhood, you've probably got a successful business. One of our, our friends, John Anderson, works with you at the Incremental Development Alliance. One of our members and contributors, great guy, he has said many times that the litmus test for him for going into a city as an incremental developer is whether the city has parking minimums or not. And his argument has been like, there's nothing you can do if they're going to require you to, to put in all this parking. If I'm a city and I want incremental developers to, to love my place, to move to my place, to invest in my place, what role does parking regulations have in that relationship? the parking regulations have a huge role because it actually kills. There is many places that you know of all over the country and plenty right here that are actually killed by the parking regulations. Actually the buildings, and especially we've been working in West Atlanta this last week. We just all got back from West Atlanta. There is places without an adjustment to the parking regulations. There are properties that cannot be used period. The property could be used, but because of parking, it can't. That's right. And then that's where the incremental developer comes in. If we can repurpose this small building on a main street with no parking, except for a little on-street parking, somebody will come along and rebuild the thing. And they'll put a pizza joint in it or put their office in it and maybe live there. But if the parking requirement is so, and they are, the parking requirements are strict in a lot of these areas, it actually stops the development. I mean, there's places all over that you can't develop because of the parking. Now, what will happen over time is that if the area ever does come back, people will just wipe out and, you know, tear down all the buildings, the old buildings, and build a new shiny, you know, whatever, you know, retail or apartment building. And that's what will happen eventually. That's what happens. That's how an area gets gentrified. And, and that's the big word, you know, all around the country these days is how do we slow down gentrification? We, we like to call it gentrification. And when you cannot use these old small buildings that are, that are perfectly good for being repurposed, that way the big developers are going to come in. There is no room for the small local developers. And, and it will it'll get torn down, wiped out, and the locals will be gone. I hear you saying that a lot of times the cities cling to these parking regulations and they try to overcome them by subsidizing the big developers by, by the handouts and the tax increment financing and that kind of thing. You and I chat a little bit about what's going on in Atlanta and it feels like, you know, they're trying to bring this neighborhood back, 
but you know, are really confused about whether it's going to be an incremental thing or a big top down subsidized fest. Exactly. They're trying to bring this neighborhood back and there's a couple of key things they got to do. And this parking is one of them. The other thing is allowing uh, the right kind of zoning, which goes with the parking to go with, uh, with the town building, with the, with repurposing these buildings and using common area parking. Now, Atlanta, I have to give it to Atlanta. They've got a lot of parking ordinances that they've just adopted that you can use parking next door. You can do use parking down the street without a lot of, of hassle. They're actually making not enough. What they need to do is just do away with the parking. Okay, just do away with it in these, these zones. What's the downside? I mean, you got boarded up buildings everywhere. What's the downside? Just try it and see what happens. But the parking is definitely causing a problem that and the and the zoning. What they'll do too is they'll take a like a four a little apartment building and they've rezoned it now to single family. So now you can't do anything. And so they're kind of unwinding. They're trying to unwind all of those, those things. The last thing I want to ask you has to do with the shopping center that you showed recently at the Cultivate Collaborative thing you and I were at together recently in, in Dallas. I found it incredible because it seemed like what you were working to try to do was to overcome this huge vacant space that was left when the shopping center went out of business. Can you talk just about the legacy of those kind of places when they fail? And, you know, we cheer when the new mall opens and we got all the parking and everybody can go. But a generation later, when that thing is, is in reuse now, how big of a burden is that parking lot become? What, what kind of crazy things do you have to do to overcome that huge amount of space? Oh my God, you know, I mean, this problem is gigantic, Chuck. I mean, around the country right now. And it's, we keep doing the same things over and over. What we're doing now is we, we, ha- we call it lifestyle centers. You know, we, we try to dress them up to make them look more urban inside instead of just a big strip across the back in a parking lot. You know, we actually dress them up to, to look more urban, but they're really not. It's really a, a bad hybrid. But it's the same thing. We're just doing the same thing over and over. The problem, the problem is in the properties that, that I work on is being an urbanist um, and an environmentalist, you know, is that you can't just tear these things down and put them in the landfill. In fact, in most of the places I work, there's not even enough money to tear them down, much less rebuild them into a new fancy mall. So you've, you've got properties that could actually damage us for the next hundred years. You know, a cancer right in the middle of a, of a place. They just, they just go in and out of cheap businesses you put in you know cheap liquor stores you put in pawn shops you put in you know junk hotel furniture nothing that really adds to the community and so it's a it's an ever-ending slow death march that won't die for maybe 20 or 30 40 more years maybe 50 years you know before they die maybe the neighborhood never comes back ever maybe it's just one of these burnout places we see that that never ever comes back. So I think the responsibility that we have is is, is developers and, and community activists and stuff to figure out how to repurpose these these parking lots and these buildings. And so what we've decided to do is we can't fix the urbanism on a lot of these these roads right now. 
it's too big for us as one property owner. So what we're doing is we're putting, we're busting up parts of the parking lot and putting in gravel or, or grass back in or trees and, and using trailers is temporary businesses, not food trucks, trailers is temporary buildings to try to like a hinge works like a hinge off the street. You try to pull people into the center and as they come into the center, they feel like they're in an urban place with the trailers being there. And then we pull them into the big boxes and then the big boxes have got their own problems. We try to divide the big boxes up into small local small business entry points from everything from a hundred square feet up to, you know, maybe a thousand square feet, small restaurants. And this is where we try to get the kind of entrepreneur that maybe wouldn't go in business anywhere else. They can go in business in one of these places, a true entry level, one step up from being in their garage or their kitchen. And then we think that's where the local culture is. It's where the secret sauce is. It's where the X factor is. And that we can grow people out of these places and at the same time begin to show how to rebuild a suburban community. And along with that, there's plenty of room where we can put, and this one particular one that you and I looked at when you were here, uh, we can put like 20 or, or 25 apartments on site. And not that that's going to make us a lot of money, Okay, it's not probably going to be at best break even. But what it does is it gets eyes on the parking lot, eyes on the facility, you know, 24 hours a day. It creates a different vibe, if you will. It creates all of a sudden you've got people that from the neighborhood that see these apartments on site that maybe now they're walking from the neighborhood into those, by those apartments, into the retail. It kind of welcomes things back in and then things that you do around the neighborhood to reconnect the retail with sidewalks or alleyways or knocking down walls that divide the retail center from the neighborhood where you can walk through. You can, uh, those are other tricks that are really cheap to do. And so the legacy is, is if we don't do this, if we don't figure out what happens is in the center that we had is the 99 cent store comes in it perpetuates like the low income. It just further carries the property down. And in an area where it's lower middle class, you know, it doesn't even get torn down after a while. It just becomes a derelict old building where people go in and do drugs. And I mean, it just gets worse and worse. It won't die. The worst thing is it won't die. It'll just slowly bleed your community forever. I think it's that, that parking lot that really is almost the poster child of the failure. It's fascinating because, you know, you look at the business model of a, a big box store and part of their business model is to have a parking lot with a lot of cars in it, but yet visibly a lot of free space. It's kind of a billboard like, hey, there's action going on here, but there's also room for you. So pull in. It'd be nice and convenient. But when that business goes away and it's just a big parking lot, it's almost like a billboard of desolation, right? It's almost like a billboard of you don't want to be here because this whole place is dead, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's it's even on, on the newer shopping centers and stuff, except for the day after, you know, Black Friday here or the day after Thanksgiving, you know, that we're talking about, 
you know, except for that day, even these brand new shopping centers are mostly in, in my neighborhoods are mostly empty. And, and nobody wants to go to a place that looks like no one is there. I mean, I think it actually, a, the big parking lot overdone and misorganized, not, not organized properly uh, in a development actually causes the business to be worse. Because you, I don't know about you, but if I'm going down the street, I want to go in the place that's got the cars in the parking lot. I don't want to go in a place that's got an empty parking lot. Right. Yeah. Because that means it must not be very good. It's a little like the restaurant with nobody there. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And it's, it's the same reason we do head-in parking off the streets. And then we'll put the, you know, pull the building close to the street, put the head-in parking on the street, and the extra parking is in the back. Because even when there's not much business there, that parking on the street makes it look like there is business there. And many times the perception is reality. You know, if everybody says, I never see anybody in the parking lot. Have you ever heard people say that? Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. I never see anybody in the parking lot. You know, well, I'm never going to go there. Monty Anderson, uh, you can get a hold of him. He's at the Options Real Estate Group in Duncanville, right? Yes. Also part of the Incremental Development Alliance. You can find them online. Monty, I, I just love you, man. I, I love everything you do. And as we've gotten to know each other over the years, I've just, I'm just so grateful for who you are and, and all the stuff that you do. And I'm, I'm honored that you're a member of Strong Towns and, and uh, just happy to be your friend. So thanks for taking the time today. You too, Chuck. Thanks for everything you're doing and making everybody aware in this country. These things, it makes it a lot easier when you've already came through for us to try to work in some of these places. So thanks. Well, it gives me confidence knowing you're coming in behind to clean up the mess. <laughs> uh, so have a happy Thanksgiving. You too, Chuck. See you later. Take care. Take care, Bye. friend. Bye. And thanks everybody for listening. Monty's just the greatest. You guys have a great Thanksgiving. Get out there on Black Friday. Take some photos. Tag them with the tag Black Friday Parking and share them on social media. Uh, we'll put them on our site. Other people will see them. And together we'll start to change the conversation on the way we do parking in this country. Take care, everybody, and keep doing what you can to build strong towns. We need your help. If you think the Strong Towns message is important, don't keep it to yourself. Pass it on. You can get more information and sign up to be a member of Strong Towns at strongtowns.org. Drastic times require what? Drastic measures, yes! Who said that? They know that America's one big pothole right now. Bill, 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 Bill. That's a story. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. Who made the city? I like you. I like your vision of the of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit Agenda 21. Yeah.